Hey guys, and welcome into this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast on a Tuesday night. That's right, because we are heading on the road to Miami on Thursday, so we are going to get this one in early. We'll preview the Miami game, but first, we're going to take a look back at the first Tar Heel victory of the season against the Pittsburgh Panthers, a team that, well, Larry Fedora, he's owned to this point, and he did it once again on Saturday, and to help us take a look at Miami and recap what happened in the game against Pittsburgh. It's Zach Hubbard back with us again. Zach, how's it going? Good to be here. Glad to be here yet on another week. Uh, a good week after a Carolina victory, so it, it's always nice to be able to say that uh, after the you know more depressing start of this season. It feels good. Yeah, so how long did you celebrate? Like, what is the official time frame that you think you're allowed to celebrate? For me, I think it's the rest of that day. But for some Tar Heel fans, they were saying we need to focus and move on right after the victory. So how long did you celebrate? Well, the general consensus, at least for the team, maybe not for me personally, but for the team, is that you essentially get a day. You get the rest of whatever day you played that game and then you get the next day and that's really the time that you have to kind of savor that victory but then you move on so I'd say about then if some Tar Heel fans want to just have that day and then move on that's up to them if people want to you know celebrate the entire week that's entirely fine too I think it's very open but for me it's about a day that you can kind of sit in that victory that you can kind of soak that in and then you move on and look at well, what's coming up this week and what's the rest of this season going to look like? Well, we'll start by recapping the Pittsburgh game before we move on and take a look at what the uh, what, what this game's going to look like against Miami and then what the rest of the season will look like. And when it comes to the Pittsburgh game, I think it's really a tale of two halves. So in the first half, I, I still thought the offense played well. I thought the running game was there. The offensive line looked a lot better, especially in run-blocking situations. And I thought the short passing game really was what got the offense going. But defensively, man, there was uh, very little defense in that first half from the group, Um, especially in the run defense, 174 yards on the ground in the first half alone by Pittsburgh. Um, And, you know, again, they went back to most of the plays that we've seen from them in the past, that power run game off to the left side of their offensive line, and then those jet sweeps that have really hurt the team in the past. But, um, you know, when you go back and look at that first half now with the result that we had, you know, what was, I, I guess, what was the biggest takeaway that you had defensively from that first half? Well, the biggest takeaway that I had defensively from the first half is that it just seemed like there was a lack of concentration from the defensive unit. It seemed like there were a lot of missed tackles, a lot of misassignments, misalignments, things of that nature that allowed Pitt to get some of those big gains on the ground. And Pitt is a very good team running the football. They were going in. I think that they will still be a good team running the football going into their subsequent games after, you know, the UNC game. But I think the second part of that defensive performance in the first half is that they had such success running the ball and they would often go away with that. They would often try to get hit quarterback Kenny Pickett involved and that had, I guess, moderate success as compared to the running game. The running game was very good and then they would kind of shift into this pass attack uh, and that was what led kind of to it being um, not as bad as it could have been. 
in my opinion. So the the main thing was just that it was a bad defensive half, but Pitt kind of made its own errors that allowed Carolina to get out of the half and then regroup at halftime, which they did, and they played much better in the second half. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and I think one of the things that kind of went a little unnoticed in the first half, and they really readjusted in the second half, they were also, they hit a couple of deep plays uh, in the passing game. I thought Kenny Pickett sort of settled in in that second quarter, and and that's kind of what got their offense going. Um, You know, the turnover by Anthony Ratliff-Williams, where where he catches the pass, that would have been a first down, and then he ends up fumbling it. I think that was really what turned the tides in the first half and allowed them to take that lead into the locker room. And I think, you know, at that point, I don't know about you, but for me, it was kind of like, is uh, is this really going to happen again where we're going to put on, you know, a better performance in this game even than the Cal or ECU game, but we're still going to come up short. Um, I mean, was that kind of your feeling going into halftime, especially after, um, you know, Pitt took the lead? There was definitely concern. I mean, there's generally been concern over, you know, the Fedora era of if this team can make adjustments and if this team can keep, you know, the edge to play to the best of their ability. And, but they really showed that they do have that ability on Saturday. Going out of the first two games, there was concerns about that. There was concerns over the mentality of this team, and there were things that, uh, you know, people saw in interviews and things like that of people not taking certain opponents seriously or not preparing in the right way or not giving 100% or things of that nature. But through the second half of this uh, Carolina Pitt game, we really saw that UNC really on both sides of the ball can play at a high level, really more specifically on that defense. I mean, most of Pitt's Mm -hmm. offensive yardage came in that first half. If you look at the drive chart going into the second half, I think it's about three or four punts a couple turnovers, and then maybe a long touchdown drive there at the very end once you would see was kind of uh, playing not to lose as opposed to playing aggressive defense. So yeah, really the defense took a big step forward just in the second half. Now it's hard to say whether that will continue down the line throughout the rest of the season, but they certainly showed that they have that ability. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it right now, and like you mentioned, I mean, I'll just read them right here. Six plays, 14-yard punt, then three plays, negative 12 yards, and a punt. Uh, they fumble on the kickoff after the touchdown that gave the Tar Heels the lead from Diami Brown. Um, they punt on the next drive that they have, three plays, negative one yards. Then they have the six-play, 20-yard drive, I think that may have concerned people a little bit, um, but they do get the stop there. Then the missed field goal happens from Freeman Jones, and then they finally get their their drive of the half where they go eight plays, 79 yards. But pretty much that, that defense, like you said, they locked down for most of that second half. And I really like the response from those guys, especially the linebacking core, which I think did a pretty good job in the second half of taking away that run game. And I think, you know, it's 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 not about talent at the linebacker spots. It's not about not knowing your assignments and not knowing what to do. It's really just about being consistent in that. These guys, they've been around for long enough in this system that they know what to do. It's just early in these games, I don't know if it's just nerves or 
what it is. I don't know if it's communication issues with Jonathan Smith or I believe Cole Holcomb's the guy that's probably setting up the defense because he's out there every time. Um, there were quite a few sets where it was him and Dominic Raw out there. So one would believe that Cole Holcomb's the guy that's getting the guy set up. Um, but, you know, I, I thought they they showed that they have the ability to read. I thought the defensive line was much better in the second half. Um, one of the most encouraging things to me, I thought the pass rush was definitely back. Three sacks, and you know th that's something that you know you can take as as much as you want from it and say, well, more there there are teams that out there that have you know one guy with three sacks, or you know th th that's still not going to get us up into the top fifteen or top ten in college football in sacks. Well, that's not where we really need to be. We need to just see progress because really. Under the late Gene Chizik era into the early John Papuchis era, there was no, no semblance of pass rush at all. Not even close. And the fact that these guys this year have rebounded in the way that they have so far early on, I think has to be encouraging. I mean, I know against East Carolina, no sacks. And that looked a lot like those those Gene Chizik defenses and the early John Papuchis days. But if they can play the way they played against Cal and the way they played on Saturday, really just week in and week out, I think it gives these guys a chance to at least, I mean, they're going to start, the points will start going down, I have a feeling, unless they are just that bad in run defense. I would think that being able to get after the quarterback, that's going to take away a lot of things in that passing game. It's going to take away a lot of the deep passes because there's simply not going to be time. But, um, you know, one of the guys that I wanted to ask you about in, spe in specific is Timon Fox. What did you think about his performance, especially, you know, with the fact that he is going to be out this week against Miami? He, he really stepped up to me against Pittsburgh. Yeah, Timon Fox definitely stepped up against Pittsburgh with the absence of Malik Carney, and that was really what we needed him to do. We needed one of those guys in the defensive end position to really be a difference maker on this Carolina defense. And at least in this game, Timon Fox made his uh, sort of presence known. He had seven tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, and two quarterback hurries. And that was really enough to be a, a, an impact maker on that quarterback. I mean, they kept... Um, Kenny Pickett uncomfortable most of the day, really only hitting about 57% of his passes. Now, part of that, of course, is on the defensive backs to play defense, but part of that, of course, is what you're getting from your pass rush. And from that defensive line, most of that pass rush that we saw, we saw from Timon Fox. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. And I, I think, uh, you know, good job also Jalen Dalton, who I think has really responded well. You know, he had the injury in the uh, in fall camp and didn't see a lot of action. Jason Strobridge actually ended up pretty much taking over the starting spot, but as they've gotten onto the field this season, man, Jalen Dalton has responded. He had a sack on Saturday. He had a, a tackle for loss as well. So Jalen Dalton, I think right now is playing very well and people really need to take notice because he's stepping up in his senior year. And I think for the most part, Jeremiah Clark is doing the same thing, and I think that showed in the second. Those guys in the middle of that defense, they are your best chance to stop the run. It's just about being a little more consistent. One of the other guys that we saw out there a ton, and I mean, I, I was kind of shocked to see him starting out there 
Greg Ross was out there pretty much the entire game. What did you think of him in coverage? Um, you know, for most of the day, we, we saw him, I think, get beat one time by Tasir Mack. Um, but other than that, I, I thought he looked overall pretty solid. I thought he looked pretty solid as well. You know, Greg Ross was one of those guys that uh, was one of the 13 suspended mm-hmm. uh, with the Shoegate issue. His suspension was only two games, so he served that versus Cal versus ECU, and also something else that's important to note is that uh, C.J. Cotman did not play in this game, had somewhat of a, I guess, a lingering injury, was banged up, so they probably, you know, set him this past Saturday to get him ready to go, hopefully, versus Miami, uh, but that's left us a little bit uh, understaffed at the cornerback position. Of course, you had guys like uh, Patrice Rene, you had Corey Bell Jr., but you need other guys that you can rotate in there, and that's something that we've kind of seen uh, be an emphasis for Henry Baker's cornerback unit is rotating mm-hmm. guys in to go alongside KJ Sales. So, I mean, Greg Ross got in there uh, really in his sort of his um, first that I can remember first sort of taste of playing time. Did fairly good in coverage, had six tackles, which was good uh for fourth on the team so uh and they were all solo tackles so i think it was a good starting performance obviously like i said i think the whole secondary unit did fairly good at limiting uh the pit passing attack not that i think that kenny pickett and the pit passing attack was all that dangerous to begin with but the carolina defense was up to the task regardless kept him around 57 percent for 174 yards Obviously, as we said, the defensive line sacked him three times, so made their offense one-dimensional, which, like we said, helped our defense in the second half. Right, and he threw for 123 of those yards in the first half, so they only allowed 51 yards in the second half. And you could say, well, they probably went to the ground more in the second half. Not really, because you've got to think, with that big third quarter, they were trailing for the entire fourth quarter. So, no, I thought this secondary really stepped up. Um, yeah, C.J. Cotman not playing, I think that was one of those things that allowed Greg Ross to get out there, but I thought he took advantage of the opportunity, and if anything, I still think, I, overall, I think C.J. Cotman's probably a better corner. I like his speed a little bit better, and I think he's a better man-to-man coverage guy, but I think overall, for Greg Ross, you've got to take away the fact that at least you've shown these defensive back coaches whether it's Henry Baker or maybe even uh, Tommy Thigpen, the safeties coach, that, hey, you know, I I can play a little bit. And I know Greg Ross played a little bit of safety in high school as well. So, um, you know, I think he's a flexible option that can be moved around. He was one of those guys that we heard for a while was waiting to kind of get his chance to break out. And I thought he performed pretty pretty decent for his first time out there against the Pitt Panthers. So we'll turn to the offensive side of the ball really quickly. And when you look at the offensive side of the ball, of course, Nathan Elliott with a fantastic performance. Antonio Williams, 16 carries, 114 yards, two touchdowns. That might be the headliner. Or it might be Daz Newsom with six receptions for 110 yards. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to pick one of these as your standout performer. Who would it be? And I'm going to go a little bit against the grain here because people will want to say Nathan Elliott, but I'm going to go with Antonio Williams. I personally thought his performance in this game was more impressive. 16 carries for 114 yards, averaged 7.1 yards per carry. That's elite right there. Scored two touchdowns on the ground as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. He was the bulk of this rushing offense. And as we've seen, 
difficulties in the passing game throughout the season so far, right. albeit uh, saw a better performance on Saturday, it's not impossible to assume that the passing game might struggle again. So as you and I have both said on this podcast previously, the run game needs to be emphasized. And I think that starts up front with Antonio Williams. Uh, Antonio Williams is a different back that UNC perhaps had last year on its roster or is used to having really within sort of this hurry-up spread offense. You typically see more of these smaller, shiftier backs like your Jordan Brown or your Michael Carter. But but Antonio Williams is more of that traditional bell cow power back, the one that you give 16 to 20 carries to, like we saw in this game, have him go and bulldoze over people. And he's shown here in this game, and I think last week, uh, before the targeting call that he can do so in his own words he he thought that he played kind of lazy against Cal uh, and then really turned it on and play and in his words ran angry against ECU and then against Pitt and I think that showed both in the ECU game and this past Saturday that he can really be a weapon running the ball for this offense yeah, I, I think it kind of reminds me a little bit of Elijah Hood in the fact that he has that good mix of power and speed. He's afraid to lower his shoulder, but he can get out in space and turn it on. And then what he has that maybe Elijah Hood didn't have, we saw it on his first touchdown run of the day. It's a fourth down. It's a handoff right up the middle. And then he gets into that second slash third level and makes the safety miss with just a great cut move. And I mean, that's something that we just really haven't seen. And I feel like you're right. We haven't really had a workhorse back since Elijah Hood left campus. And even when Elijah Hood was on campus, I think he was capable of being a workhorse back. But at times, it would just seem like he wasn't running as hard as he could or needed to. I thought that there were some instances where TJ Logan probably should have gotten more carries over him. In this case, I think Antonio Williams is the guy. He's a workhorse. It's like you said. He feels that he needed to take his game to the next level, and I think he did on Saturday. And if he can keep this going, I think there's a real chance that he could, I mean, he he could run for over a thousand yards. And by next year, I mean, he could be a guy that could be looked at as a Doak Walker type running back, a guy that will be on the awards watch list and will be around for a little while. And I think you're right. You know, we've said it time and time again, and it's something that I put, you know, in every article that I write um, when it, when it's a preview, uh, it's one of my keys to the game. Um, when it's, you know, talking and recapping the game or the stock report, I'm always saying, you know, we need to run the football. And I think finally, on Saturday, they did that. They ran the ball 40 times. They only threw it 31 times. I like that better. And that was with the passing game having success. Run the football. Let the running game carry you. And right now, I think it is, especially with not one, not two, but three guys that are easily capable, I think, of being starters. I, I think Antonio Williams, Jordan Brown, and Michael Carter are all worthy of being starters. I think if they were just about anywhere else, um, they would have a chance to start. So, um, you know, I think right now the rotation back there allows us to potentially turn this into a run-first offense. But, you know, when I looked at the game on Saturday, I think that Daz Newsom had the best performance. And I'm going to tell you why. He didn't reach the end zone. And he only had six catches, but he turned that into 110 yards. 
And I think his ability to create after he caught the football, especially on some of the screen plays. We saw the one third down play where it was just a dump down screen route to him. And he gets out in space and makes a spin move and gets a first down. I mean, that's something that we've just been lacking early on in the year, partially because the play calling has pretty much been throw a bomb, throw a bomb, throw a bomb every single time that we're out there. It was a little bit different on Saturday, and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Daz Newsome, I thought, showed what he is there to do and what he can do for the heels in that slot. And I, I think that's what really opened up the rest of the passing game as well. So, yeah, I think uh, I'm going to go Daz Newsome with, with the best performance. But for sure, I think right now, you know, when you look at Nathan Elliott, he has played very well, um, you know, here in, you know, some of these instances. I thought he played well in the second half against Cal, and then I thought on Saturday he played well. So, look, he's capable of being a serviceable enough quarterback. You've got to put him in the right situations as a play caller. He is not a guy that's going to thrive on deep passes. He's going to thrive on those short dump down routes and screen plays where guys are able to get yards after the catch and make things happen in space. That's what's going to make this offense roll like it should. So, um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's really it on, uh, on the pit game. Um, Oh, one, I, I guess one last thing I'll ask you. Uh, Freeman Jones missing a field goal. Uh, I mean, are is there anything there? I saw someone saying, oh, we, we, we might be going back to the same old kickers. I'm not worried at all. I think Freeman's perfectly fine, but uh, am I nuts? I would say that you are not nuts. I would say <laughs> that that's a little bit of an overreaction for him missing a kick. Uh, if you watch kickers in any other college football game, or any other football game for that matter, Kickers miss. Kickers miss often. Kickers miss kicks that they should be making. It's not uncommon for that to happen. Kickers are honestly the weirdest position in football as a whole because it's really hard to determine their consistency. It's a really hard thing to do, and it's something that a lot of people don't really think about until it's time for the kicking to happen, until it's time for your field goal or your kickoff or what have you. So, you know, it's probably a kick that he should be making on a regular basis, but you're going to miss some of those. That's just the nature of it. He's been very good so far, so I don't think there's really any reason to worry. Um, and another thing to keep in mind is that uh, kicking field goals is great, obviously. That's points that you can get on the board. That's three points that you might not get otherwise. But I don't think that special teams should really be the concern of this team at this point. I think Larry Fedora teams have pretty much always have special, good special teams to the point that you almost don't have to worry about them. So I would say that this is not the unit on this team that really anyone needs to have to lose any sleepover, if you could say that. Yeah, I agree with you. So let's turn then to the Miami game. Of course, it'll be a Thursday night game. So, you know, the question I think that you've always got to start with with games like this is, you know, what kind of concern do you have right now in terms of, you know, how ready this team is going to be? You know, we've seen them get off to some slow starts before, and now having this quick of a turnaround, you know, I kind of wonder, does it benefit them because they were as good as they, you know, they played as well as they did in the second half on Saturday? Or, you know, is is that going to, you know, be a deterrent and potentially be, you know, something they're, they're, they'll come out tired or whatnot? So what what is your concern, level of concern at this point? 
Well, it's a little difficult to say for this North Carolina team in general. I mean, when you look at teams playing Thursday night games, usually these games are lower scoring. The teams don't perform as well as they do on Saturday games. And it usually is to the detriment of whatever the away team is. I mean, you look at, uh, for instance, um, Clemson the past either year or two years has lost games that they probably should win. They lost one to Pitt, I believe, in 2016 and lost one to Syracuse last year. And I know specifically for the Syracuse game, that was a Thursday night game up in New York. It's unfavorable conditions. It's on a short week. That leads teams to play less skilled, less focused, but also it tends to be a detriment to whoever the away team is. So that kind of leads you to an area of concern. But we also see in terms of specifically with Larry Fedora teams, they tend to be good on a short schedule. They tend to... Uh, you know, be successful in these Thursday night games. And for some reason, they're less successful in games that they have longer to prepare for. They're less successful in starts of the season. They're less successful in bowl games. For some reason, Larry Fedora teams just tend to perform better, almost completely against script, when they have a shorter week. So if you believe in that sort of thing, uh, that would certainly be a reason to, you know, have a little bit of optimism. But I, I, it's really hard to say for me one way or another if that's going to be a, a huge factor in this game. So going into it, you know, you look at Miami's defense, and really the numbers are there. They've allowed 18.5 points per game, 223.8 yards per game overall. But when you look at their schedule – Outside of LSU, they played Savannah State at Toledo and then Florida International, which, of course, is coached by former North Carolina head coach Butch Davis. But as of right now, I mean, how much should fans really buy into their numbers? Because from from my perspective, I think the schedule has those numbers a little skewed right now. I still think they're a good defense. They have a lot of talent, especially in the front seven. But when you look at it, you know, what do you think of that Miami defense that we're going to be seeing on Thursday night? Well, I tend to agree. I mean, you look at that schedule outside of LSU, it's not really anyone that a uh, program of the caliber of Miami should be scared of in Savannah State, an FCS team, uh, Toledo, uh, you know, a, a MAC team, and then um, FIU with Butch Davis. But you look at their numbers defensively, and even without adjusting for those opponents, these are pretty impressive numbers. Uh, Miami is number two in the nation in total defense, number five in rush defense, number six in pass defense, number one in third down defense, and number one in tackles for loss. So regardless of who you've played, those are impressive numbers. Those are elite defensive numbers. This is a defense that is creating havoc in the backfield, that is using their front seven dangerously that is stopping offenses from moving the ball. So regardless of the opponent, I still think that there are reasons to be concerned with this defense. Yeah, no, you're right. And I mean, allowing 78.8 yards per game on the ground, that is that is amazing, especially through four games of the season. And I mean, that's even with that LSU game where they did give up some yards on the ground to those LSU running backs. But you know, yeah, no, this defense, this I, they're legit. I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I kind of think early on the Tar Heels, they're going to have to throw the ball probably a little bit more than people want to to start out. But the key to it will be, I think, is you, you got to get the ball out quickly. You mentioned number one in the nation in tackles for loss, and that stat accounts for sacks as well. So 
When you look at it, you've got to make sure that you're getting this ball out quickly. But at the same time, look, they're they're number one in tackles for loss for a reason. So you are going to have to get the ball downfield a little bit. You're going to have to run some of these five-yard curl routes. Ooh. Some of these five-yard curl routes. Some of these, um, you know, potentially these... Um, you know, the, these slant routes over the middle that, you know, will allow the guys uh, to, you know, still get out in space, but not, you know, screen plays that are going to involve. Not covered. I can't come over right now. At the tone, please record your message. All right. Yeah. So we lost Zach here. Let's see. Zach, you there, man? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Okay, there we go. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, so I was just talking a little bit, you know, about, um, you know, getting the ball a little bit downfield, some of those five-yard curl routes, some of those slant routes, as opposed to throwing all of these screen routes in the backfield, which will allow these linebackers and these safeties who come down into the box to be able to drop these guys in the backfield. But, um, you know, what would be your game plan going in against Miami? How are you going to attack that defense if you're Chris Kapilovic? Well, I think it's like you said, you're going to have to use some of those routes to get guys out of space kind of ahead of the line of scrimmage. We've really seen a lot of these sort of, you know, swing passes and bubble screens from the Larry Fedora offense kind of early in the game, kind of to focus on uh, Nathan Elliott's strength and kind of shield his weaknesses. And that has had limited success, obviously, versus Pitt this past Saturday, as we said. Guys were able to get into space and make plays, but there were occasions against DCU and against Cal uh, where that was not the case, and it put the Tar Heel offense in bad situations. It put them second and long and third and long. So I think they're going to have to use, like you said, curl routes, slant routes, things like that. Put the ball over the middle again if you can. That's going to be something that, you know, this offense is going to have to do. It's going to have to try to look for mismatches. I think it's going to have to run the ball to some extent. Um, really, defenses up until this point have played uh, Carolina pretty much by stacking the box and daring Nathan Elliott to beat them with their arm. And I think they're going to have to have success in the running game kind of to get this defense off balance. I think that this... Miami defense is confident, they're determined, they feel like they have a good plan to shut down this offense, and UNC have to come in and make them uncomfortable, have to stay ahead of schedule, have to play fast if they can, if they can get guys, you know, focused and in the right assignment, uh, running the offense quickly, and I think the main goal as of right now is get their playmakers, those safeties, those linebackers that you mentioned, out of position, uh, remove them from the defense as much as you can. Yeah, and and one of the things that I really want to see from this offense, and they really haven't done it since that Cal game, and even in the Cal game, they waited until the second half. Look, you've got to get Nathan Elliott involved in the running game. You've got to work some of these read options in because it's going to keep the defense honest. If you're just handing off to your running backs every time, it's easy to stack the box and bring these guys down. There's going to be no inside running game then if you're doing that. And at that point, you're leaning on the tackles and potentially really now at this point, just tight end Jake Vargas. We saw a little bit of Garrett Walston, who I thought looked pretty good as well, but you're relying on those 
young, less experienced tight ends to get good blocks on the edge that allow your running backs to get out in space. So by, you know, bringing that read option element into the offense, which I love when, and we'll talk about the Nathan Elliott Chasserat thing coming up, but when Ever I bring up the argument of those two, everybody always wants to tell me that Nathan Elliott is not athletic. He, he doesn't know how to run. I, I don't know what they're seeing because from what I've seen from Nathan Elliott, he has the ability to run. This is a guy that ran track in high school and was actually a state champion. So he's no pushover. I mean, he has the ability to run. He runs a little more physical, which was the style that Marquise Williams ran with, which was when we were most successful offensively. So, you know, I think that could be one of the keys is just, you know, throwing Miami off a little bit with some of those read options. One of the things I really liked Saturday against Pittsburgh was putting Anthony Ratliff Williams back there in the backfield. And it's the greatest thing. These ESPN announcers, they have no idea that he played quarterback in high school because they're like, wow, he actually looks like he might know what he's doing back there on a read option. I'm like, well, he does because he was a four-year starter at Butler High School here in Charlotte um, or in Matthews. I, well, I don't know if he was four-year. I think he may have been two because Riley Ferguson was there before him. But that's that doesn't matter. But he's played quarterback before, and I just uh, I, I thought that was great, throwing that in, mixing it up. I thought that threw Pitt off both times that they ran that. Um, the only thing that would be a concern is he did come up limping after after the second attempt. So maybe that's a little bit of a concern. But overall, that wrinkle I thought worked pretty well. So um, and then when you turn to the defensive side of the ball, you know, I'm looking at our stats right now and we're allowing 397 yards of offense to the opponents per game. You know, I think that, you, of course, stopping the run is going to be the key and they are going to have, it looks like they're going to go with the true freshman Nikozi Perry back there instead of Malik Rogier. So, you know, I, I think there's a game plan that, can be had there. What is your game plan going in to try to stop Miami? Plain and simple. I think the way that you're going to have to stop Miami here, and I think this is a good to great Miami offense, maybe not elite, but this is a functional Miami offense. The way that you're going to have to stop this Miami offense is by limiting that running attack. Right. Um, Mark Ring offenses are going to want to run on early downs. So if you can put them in, second and long, third and long situation, if you can eliminate the advantages of this running back and of Kosi Perry, who I imagine is going to run the ball more than Malik Rozier did at quarterback, if you can eliminate that running uh, sort of on early downs, you're going to put them in bad situations. It's really, you know, he's a redshirt freshman quarterback. This would be his, I believe, third game of playing um, – you know, Division One college competition. So right. get him in situations where he can be uncomfortable, try to get him to make mistakes. I think one of the key things for this UNT defense is to try to get turnovers. That's really an area up until this point, and it's only been three games, but the UNT defense, playing defense, has not gotten a turnover. The one turnover that UNT has gotten is that fumble that we saw on special teams this past Saturday. So... I think if you can get turnovers, that could be absolutely huge for this offense. That makes the Miami defense have to play another series. That's going to make them more tired, and that gives our offense more chances to establish a rhythm, to put points on the board, and really 
try to create distance from this Miami team. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And turning the ball over, I think, is something, you know, we've lacked for a while. Um, You know, I thought it was great that we turned Pitt over on special teams. Uh, Believe me, the fact that Freeman Jones recovered that was probably the best part. That was amazing to see the kicker down there recovering a uh, a fumble. But, um, you know, I, I think that in order to stop this team, I agree, stopping the run is going to be huge. But I think the main thing is you've got to limit big plays because this is what this offense thrives off of. And that can be in the running game, which will be missed tackles, missed assignments. You've got to be there. And, I mean, it's going to happen a couple of times. But you've got to be able to limit that from happening over and over again, which we've seen at times against teams like Cal last year in the opener or ECU in uh, the second game of this season. That's kind of what you've got to limit. And then, at, you know, when you look at, at the passing game, you cannot let Jeff Thomas beat you over the top. This kid, I'm telling you, I remember watching him a couple of years ago in the Under Armour All-American game, and this kid can fly. So it's going to be on K.J. Sales or whoever's matched up against him. I think that K.J. Sales will probably be the guy that will be matched up against him because I believe that – um, that Amon Richards is not going to play again. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that. I don't think he's played the entire year. I'm going to look that up here um, as we speak. But, um, you know, when I, when I look at it, I think, you know, C.J. Cotman has shown that he's got the speed to be able to stay with these guys. Now I think he, he this might be the game where he's got to prove it against a guy like Jeff, or Jeff Thomas, excuse me, that has game-breaking speed. So, um you know, yeah, I I, uh, I agree, and, and you're right, though. Perry, that's what he's going to do. He is going to get out and run a little bit more than we saw Malik Rogier do. Um, you know, he, he's, a, he's a different quarterback. He's more dynamic, and I thought um, ultimately that move would eventually come. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I, I was kind of hoping it would be after our game. Um, but he is young, like you said, so forcing him to, you know, Try to, I mean, at this point, force him to win the game. Make him be the guy that steps up and wins the game for them as opposed to, um, you know, having the rest of that offense beat you, having those playmakers like Travis Homer in the backfield or Jeff Thomas, you know, make Nikozi Perry find a way to beat you because if you're putting a true freshman in that situation, it's pretty tough. Um, So I'm looking at, yeah, I'm looking at Amon Richards right now. Um, he's missed, uh, the last three games with an injury. So he played, that's right. He played in the opener against LSU, caught one pass and, uh, did get injured and he hasn't played since. So he is questionable and that could be huge because that takes away one of their better receiving options. I mean, Amon Richards is another guy that has the speed to go deep. Um, I believe, let me check again, it is a knee injury, so it is to the legs, so that will potentially take some of that speed out of him, but he's still a guy that can go up and get the football, he's got really good hands, so if he's not out there, that definitely helps, but they've got to prepare as if he is going to be out there, so I think uh, no, no doubt John Papuchis will have uh, those that that secondary ready Henry Baker and Tommy Thigpen I think are working with those guys trying to get them ready to go but uh, 
you know, ultimately, I think the biggest thing also that's going to help this defense, and I want to hear what you have to think about it too, is some of these guys that will return um, on the defensive side of the football. There's a lot of guys returning offensively, and Bo Corrales is one if we want to talk a little bit about him too that we could talk about. But really having uh, Tyrone Hopper back I think is huge um, down there because really it gives us another guy that's a pass rusher, a guy that we can rotate in there to try to keep some of our uh, guys up front fresh. Again, Malik Carney will be back in the lineup. No Timon Fox. So, um, you know, you'll have Alan Cater out there and he's been playing a lot lately. I think he's been relatively effective, but there are times where he can use a breather. So having Tyrone Hopper back will definitely help. Having uh, Malik Robinson as well at linebacker, who is a guy that had a good spring and uh, I, I think is could, could be a guy that could help in the middle of that defense and make some tackles. I think that could be huge. What do you think about the guys that are returning and do you think anybody really makes an impact on Thursday night? Well, among the guys you mentioned, I certainly think that Malik Carney could. Of course, he was might be our best offender, either him or right. Dominic Ross in that first game against Cal really had a great performance there on that defensive line. So I think that he could certainly be one of the key pieces that this Carolina defense will need if it's going to make the Buzzy very uncomfortable. Uh, but you look at that offensive side of the ball, you know, with Bo Corrales coming back, Bo Corrales gives this offense a different sort of weapon than it really has anywhere else. And that's a big-bodied guy that can really be a red zone threat or a guy that can, you know, take the top off of a defense, uh, which I don't think they've seen necessarily from, you know, Anthony Ratliff-Williams or from Diami Brown. So I think that he adds that different component. He's obviously another body that can be rotated in there and be successful. And I think that he's a guy that can push these outside receivers, that can push Anthony Ratliff-Williams and De'Ami Brown and really bring out the best in him and bring out the best in himself just through competition. So I think it's certainly a good thing to have him back in the lineup. Yeah, you, you mentioned a go-up-and-get-it type of receiver, and that's exactly what he brings to the table because we saw it against Miami last year. So what a great game to come back. Uh, you know, the game that you had the most success a year ago in. And uh, I mean, and really, that's the thing. I think he'll be able to come in and, and bring a different element because at the same time, you know, look, I think Ratliff Williams, he has that ability to go up and get the football. And that's what he does best. But having a second guy like that, which is when the offense was really most effective, because Matt Collins was a guy that had the speed to get over the top, and that's the thing we're still missing to this day. But if you threw a lob ball to Mac Hollins, he could go up and get the football if he had to. And then you had Bug Howard on the opposite side that could do the same thing. Really early on in the season, they haven't had that because I think Diami Brown is a guy that he – the reason they put him on the outside was they felt that his route running would be enough to create separation. It hasn't been, and I'm not saying that's a problem because, look, this guy's a true freshman, and he's already in the starting lineup. He is talented, and he's shown flashes. The touchdown the other day um, it w was fantastic. I, I thought that was a good start, and, and I think he's only going to get better. But bringing back Bo Corrales brings back a little more experience. Granted, he's only a sophomore, but at the same time, 
He's been out there. He played in five games a year ago, and you know he he was effective in most of the snaps that he saw. So I'm intrigued to see what he's going to bring to that offensive side of the ball, like you said. And I think he could be a big help and a reliable target that Nathan Elliott, you know, he found a lot in that Miami game a year ago. He can look there again. So um, yeah, I guess uh, we'll we'll finish up by talking about the game uh, with our predictions. So. Um, I'll let you go first because you're going to give the straight-up prediction, and then I'll do my prediction for the spread. So what do you think going into this game for the Tar Heels on the road? Remember the last time we were there, we beat them back in 2016, 20-13, uh, thanks to a forced fumble by Malik Carney, recovered by Jeremiah Clark. Do you think we go into Hard Rock Stadium and come away with a win, or uh, we end up coming back home at 1-3? and three? Well, I hope that this will be somewhat of a competitive game, mm-hmm. uh, but I can't really predict that right now. I think Miami is unfortunately back, uh, not really back up to the level, but they are historically, but certainly back to the level of being, you know, a competitive top 25 type team. I think they're the best team in the ACC Coastal this year um, by, by a good margin, despite that first loss to LSU. Um, and I think that it will be, pretty-handed victory, unfortunately. I think this is the best team that UNC is going to play the rest of the year. Um, I think it's going to be the hardest game that they play the rest of the year, not only being the best team, but it's on the road, it's on a Thursday night, um, on a shorter schedule. So I can't really feel super confident about the Tar Heels in this game. I think it's going to be somewhat of a, let's say, 38-17 type game. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, this game, look, Miami, I agree with you. Right now, for sure, they are the team in the ACC Coastal to beat because with everything that's going on at Virginia Tech, um, you know, they, they uh, dismiss Trayvon Hill, the talented defensive lineman. Then they end up uh, uh, finding out that starting quarterback Josh Jackson is out injured. So right now, I think it's Miami. At the, at the top, and then believe it or not, and this pains me to say, I think it's Duke that's probably the number two team in the Coastal at the moment. Um, rumor has it they could come in as a favorite against Virginia Tech, so how about that? Um, but uh, Miami, 18-point favorite in this game. You know, when I look at this, look, Larry has always played Miami very, very tough, and I think this Miami team on a Thursday, short turnaround, after playing a team in Florida International that's not great, but I think is a little bit physical. And, you know, how about, you know, the first time, basically the first start for Nikozi Perry. I don't believe he actually started that game. I think Malik Rogier started and then he came in. So, um, you know, having to come in off your first pseudo start and having to basically come in now on a short week and take over for your first career start – I think that might get to him a little bit. Um, you know, I think I'm going to go with the Tar Heels to cover here. Um, I'm not going to say I'm going to pick them straight up. Um, but I think this will be a closer game at least than Vegas season. I think that it could be a 10-point game. It could even be closer than that just because of the history that the Tar Heels have Um, really against Miami since they entered the ACC, but in particular in the Larry Fedora era. I think it's a close one, but in the end, Miami is very tough, and at home, 
you know, I don't know. I'm I'm not I I I try to just focus on the on the line. So I'll I'll say that. Heels cover, um, but it will be a tough one and it will be intriguing to see what happens. So with that, let's turn to the final thing that we will talk about tonight. This will close the show. The Nathan Elliott Chad Surratt debate. And as you guys know, um, because of the cancellation due to the hurricane, you are supposed to serve uh, it, it, the suspensions are not a specific amount of games. It's a specific amount of time, uh, excuse me, a specific percentage of the season that is supposed to be missed. And they are only supposed to miss 30% of the season for the guys that were suspended for four games. So that means that they will all be back in action. A big break for this team on uh, Thursday night. So that means that one of the guys that will be eligible to play is Chad Surratt, who started seven games a year ago and you know had his moments where he looked good. He had his moments in that middle stretch of the season where he did not look good at all. And, you know, now, uh, you know, those guys came in, of course, in the offseason. They had their back and forth battle. Nathan Elliott was the guy that was rumored to be ahead of them at the time. But they were supposed to go into fall camp battling each other still. They end up handing down the suspensions and Serac gets suspended for four games. So that ended it all there. And, of course, Elliott takes over the starting job. Now with Surratt returning, though, and Elliott really still not in a groove, per se, I think... He, he performed well against Pittsburgh, but there were still some concerns. A lot of the throws were short, and even some of the short throws were a bit questionable. He still wasn't stepping into his throws. A lot of stuff off the back foot, some sloppy footwork. Um, but, you know, w when we talk about it right now, I want to, I, I guess I'll open up by asking you, you know, what are your thoughts on Chaz coming back? And, uh, you know, I, I guess. Focusing on Larry Fedora's side of it, I know you saw the press conference that he did today, or um, not press conference, but the meeting with the media after practice. Where do you think, uh, you know, Surratt stands going into game day? Well, I, the one thing really that Larry did say, and I was kind of surprised he even said this, is that Nathan Elliott is the starter. And we kind of figured that as much with the performance he had last week. But he really did not say that Chaz wasn't going to play. But I think Chaz will play in this game. Uh, I think if you look at how this competition is gone, uh, there are sort of things that are misleading about it. Uh, right. For one thing, Chaz was injured, uh, had lingering injuries part of last year. So in the spring, some of those, some of that time they allowed him to heal up and you know get less of those first-team reps. And then also they knew about these suspensions back in February and March. So they knew even before spring camp started that for those first four games, Chaz Rapp was not supposed to be the guy. So I think it's not that there was an outright winning of the job by Nathan Elliott. Now, Nathan Elliott might be better, but I say that to say that I don't think that there was some, you know, blow-away performance by Nathan Elliott in spring and fall that led him to be the guy going into the season. And I think that's shown, of course, uh, certainly has in the first two games. Now, he did play better this past week. He had 71% completion percentage, over 300 yards, two touchdowns. But if you want to look at the specifics, like you said, um, 12 of his 22 completions were behind the line of scrimmage. 217 of his 313 yards were yards after the catch, were yards made more or less by the wide receiver. And then only five of his completed passes 
were more than 10 yards down the field. So you look at the game that he played, it certainly was uh, an efficient and successful offense, but not really a diverse offense. We really just saw some of these, you know, screen and swing passes be more successful. We saw breakdowns in coverage on the Donnie Brown touchdown and on the Michael Carter touchdown. So there, there wasn't really like Nathan Elliott certainly turned into this completely different guy he just had more success with stuff that we know that he knows how to do well and he was successful he had a you know a cleaner pocket there was good pass protection and Mm -hmm. he played with more confidence of course he cleaned up that footwork but I think for the most part we kind of know who we have in Nathan Elliott I don't think that he is going to become this rocket-armed quarterback that's going to throw for 400 yards a game I just can't really see that but then again, we don't really know what we have in Chad either. Like you said, right. he had some times that he was really good, but he had some times where his confidence really suffered, and he struggled. He had some mental mistakes a lot in games last year. Right. And we haven't seen him play really at any meaningful minute in a solid amount of time, really since the October of last year. So it's really hard to say what he brings to the table. But like I said, I think both quarterbacks are going to play in some capacity in this game. I'm not sure how that happens. I'm not sure if Nathan struggles if, and he gets pulled. I'm not sure if there's some design stuff for Chaz in there. It's really hard to say right now, but I do predict both of them to play in this game. What The thing that I, I, I think that we, at least myself, I want to get people to realize is that there is this notion that Chaz Surratt, when he comes back, is easily the better quarterback over Nathan Elliott. And I feel like last year combined with this offseason, and, you know, the suspension may have had a little bit to do with it, but I, from what I heard from a lot of the guys that were out there that I had on the show, Sam Doughton of the Argyle Report, um, who comes on with us all the time and does a great job, and even Pat James said it a little bit, you know, Chad Surratt was just missing high on some of these throws that you can't miss on some of these dump down routes. So, look, I still think, look, Chaz, I think, probably has the stronger arm of the two. I don't think that's really saying much because I don't think that Chaz has the strongest arm in the world either. Look, if we're talking about pure arm talent, Kay Fortin has the best arm on this team. But because Chaz has played and started seven games a year ago, of course he's going to be the guy that they're going to look to when he comes back, and they're going to give him a chance, and potentially rightfully so. Um, But really what I'm just trying to get people to realize, and I don't doubt that he can play in the game, and look, if he is effective, then that's fine. But to think that he should hands down be the starter, that he is that much better than Nathan Elliott, mostly because many people think he has a stronger arm and he's a better runner. Uh, I don't think either one of those are 100% accurate. I think that um, he does have the stronger arm, like I said, but it's not that much better. And I think running-wise, when you look at the statistics from last year, uh, I mean, Chad Surratt ran for 210 yards, if I remember correctly, um, on 85 carries. Nathan Elliott on... 47 carries, ran for 134 yards. Now, Chaz ran for five touchdowns. Nathan ran for no touchdowns. So there's your there's a little bit of a difference for you. Um, but really, when you look yards-wise, 
in the amount of games that they played in, they're very, very similar quarterbacks where they both have the ability to run, but they are not game breakers like, let's say, a Khalil Tate was last year at Arizona. I don't think he's been all that good this year, but that's because they don't use him right. Or, um, I mean, certainly neither one of them are anywhere close to Lamar Jackson. But uh, they, they, I think both of them, if used in that way, can bring some added ability in the run game. Um, the one thing, like you said, Chaz had some of those mental errors last year. One of the things that he had throughout the year, he dropped his eyes very quickly. He doesn't keep his eyes upfield. If anything, with Nate, that's the problem. He keeps his eyes upfield for too long when there's still nothing there and then tries to force it anyways. Um, so, you know, they're, they're very different in that perspective. But you know, I, I wonder if Chaz, you know, I know he went out to California and worked with, I believe, George Whitfield, um, who is one of the best quarterback gurus out there right now over the offseason. So that might have been one of the things that they focused with. And I think overall, he's got better footwork. But there are, like you said, those mental errors. Everyone is going to remember for the rest of their life that interception last year against Duke where he just tries to throw it overheaded. So, you know, there are definitely some things there that you've got to say, okay, you got to be able to clean that up. And the problem for me was in his last three starts a year ago outside of the Miami game, because he did start that one and left early with the leg injury, allowing Nathan Elliott to take over. Um, you know, he really, I mean, that offense scored just 24 points in those final three games, and they really were not able to move the football at all in those games against Notre Dame, against um, Georgia Tech, and against Virginia Tech. And, I, I mean, we saw how bad those results got. So the offense is not instantly going to click with him back on the field, especially because they haven't really had him playing with them in practice, going through reps with them in practice as the number one. I would say probably since about early August. So it's been a little while. I don't think just plugging him in there right away as the starter is going to solve everything. But yeah, no, you're right. I could see both of them playing. And my the only thing that I ask of Larry is if one of them gets hot back there, roll with that guy. Don't try to switch these guys in and out even if you know if Chaz has two straight drives where he throws a touchdown or Nate has two straight drives where he scores a touchdown you know maybe one throwing and and running that keep one guy in there whoever's having the better you know if they get to a stretch where they're you know where one of them's having a better night go with that guy now if for some reason they're both hot then just keep doing whatever you're doing but um, you know, if there is a guy that stands out of the two, go with that guy, let him take over the offense, at least for this game. And then you can always go back and reevaluate later on down the line. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think we got our perspectives out there. Um, I know, you know, there, there are people all over each side of the argument. Um, me, I'm still one of those guys that's very big on Cade Fortin. And I think, uh, when he gets his chance, he's, he's going to look pretty good. So, um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see on that though. So, uh, before we close the show, anything else you really want to throw out there for this week, uh, you know, for the Miami game, uh, maybe looking back on the pick game or the Nate and Chaz situation. Uh, really just, I think what you have to do at this point, just another thing that I think that we need to keep saying to Tar Heel fans, there's been a lot of discussion about the season, about the players, about the coaches, about attendance, about all of that. And I think 
is to keep supporting this team, to keep supporting the university, and to keep supporting these athletes that are really giving their all to a game that they love and care about. Support them to be optimistic. You really don't get anywhere, in my opinion, by being negative about the situation. You really don't get anywhere by looking too far ahead. You have to stay in this season while it's still happening. Of course, you can look forward to an extent, but you have to look at this season as it's happening, support the athletes, support their growth, and support the university. Yeah, no, you're right. And um, when you say support, I want to also put this out there. When you say support, you can have an opinion on certain things. I see a lot of people that basically want to say, look, you should be a blind follower of the team. You should not make comments about the players or anything. And look, you're, I wouldn't suggest going out there. I mean, it's up to you as a fan, but I wouldn't suggest going out there and saying, you know what? Nathan Elliott shouldn't be on this team. He's a terrible player. Get him off the team. And that's not what we are saying at all. Look, Nate is a fantastic guy. I think Nate has some talent as well, but you know, look, at the same time, we are, you know, we're allowed to have opinions, and that's why we express them here on the podcast, and we think that, you know, both guys have some upside, but when we look at it as guys that are, you know, at least for myself from, you know, the media, I, you know, this is what I'm going to do for a living, so, you know, yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to say that I'm not a fan, I am still a fan for sure, but at the same time, I take a different look on it than maybe some other fans do. I see a lot of fans that are one way or the other. They're either extremely positive or extremely negative. But at the same time, I couldn't agree with you more. Please support this team. If anything, I know there are still people that are frustrated with Larry Fedora. And even if you want Larry Fedora gone, at least be there for these kids. And don't get discouraged by the attendance from uh, Saturday's game because look, you know, there are still a lot of things that are going on out at the coast. And for anybody, of course, that's listening on here, um, if you are living out east, we are praying for you and hoping for the best after um, everything that happened with Hurricane Florence and still trying to recover from that. It's going to take months, possibly even years to recover from that. Um, so, but what I would expect is as the season goes along, there will be more people in Keenan Stadium. I know for sure the game that I am trying to go to is going to be October 13th. That's going to be the game that I'm going to go to against Virginia Tech with late night. I'm going to go to late night and then turn around and go to the game that next day. But um, unfortunately, I'm not able to make it out to as many games as I want to this season. But at the same time, if you can and you have the money and you love the Tar Heels, go out there and give these guys the support they deserve. So, um, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Heel Tough Blog podcast. Um, we want to thank you guys for listening. As always, uh, me and my co-host, Zach Hubbard, will do this every week. We'll jump on here and recap the game from the previous week, preview the game uh, for the next week. Um, of course, next week we will be recapping the Miami game, and then we will actually not play again until, uh, the, uh, until the 13th when we play uh, Virginia Tech. So we will be off for a little bit, but at the same time, we are still going to do the show. Um, I think uh, we'll do it, uh, what is it, both weeks, right? Yeah. 
I think, uh, no, one week. What am I talking about? But we'll still be there. So we will, we'll be there and we'll have something for you guys. I'll try to get some, uh, interviews worked in there as well. Um, but at the same time, uh, yeah, no, we will, we'll be ready to go. And, uh, yeah, we want to thank you for listening as always. Uh, Spreaker is the main site where you can find the podcast, but you can find it anywhere that you find podcasts, iTunes, Google play has it tune in app, iHeartRadio. So many of them have the podcast guys. And that's thanks to you, uh, listening and allowing it to expand to the point where it's gotten. Saturdays, or excuse me, Thursday's game uh, against Miami, of course, will be on ESPN, as you guys know. Uh, 8 o'clock is the start time for the game. Of course, if you can't watch it on ESPN, you can always listen to it on the Tar Heel Sports Network. Jones Angel and Brian Simmons are going to be on the call once again this week. That will be here in the Charlotte area, 99.3. FM uh, 1110 AM WBT up in Chapel Hill. It's 97.9 FM uh, 1360 AM uh, WCHL up there. And then in Raleigh, it'll be 106.1 FM WTKK for you guys over in that area. Other uh, Everybody else, if you live somewhere in the area, just go on. Jones Angel tweets it out every time before the games. Um, he's got it up there. Uh, you can just scroll through his Twitter feed anytime, really, and just check it out. And uh, right now, uh, no Larry Fedora live so, uh, tonight, so you guys don't have to worry about looking for that uh, in in their podcast. Um, he'll, they'll, they'll be back next week, but, so it should be a little bit easier to find uh, the station areas um, on Jones' Twitter feed this week. So, um, yeah, guys, uh, thanks for listening once again. And uh, as always, go Tar Heels!